electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to America. I'd be one of my friends. I'm just trying to make you some money in my job. Not just to entertain, but to educate, teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Every day, every day I hear about how expensive this market has gotten. Wherever I go, I'm constantly bombarded by people who believe stocks are doomed to collapse under their own weight. Yet somehow not a day goes by where I can't find some bargains, stocks that are simply too cheap and deserve to be higher, maybe much higher. And judging by these advances, I may not be alone. So let's take today, a session where the Dow gained 272 points, S&P climbed 0.60% to a record, NASDAQ advanced 0.78 to notch a new record as well. On the surface, I totally get these valuation worries. I get them. We just had one of the biggest flop IPOs at the end of last week. Robinhood, a deal for a borderline profitable company that broke its print price almost immediately. Next thing you know, the stock doubles, literally doubles from its lows as throngs of young investors blasted this meme stock higher. Meme meaning it's love beyond all reason. And I mean all reason. Then we come in today and insiders at Robinhood filed a sell 98 million shares. Sell, 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 sell. Less than a week, but 30 points higher since it came public. So, of course, the stock plunges 27.6% today. This is a true larger-than-life sign of overvaluation, at least according to the institutions. Not individuals who control all big companies. That's what the institutions do. They, qu- they control all except the two kings of meme, GameStop and AMC. I was going to yell boo, but I don't like to hurt the feelings of those memesters. They get such a kick out of me on Twitter. All right, I'll give the skeptics this, though. Given the run we've had in this market and the giddiness of many buyers, it makes sense to worry that stocks are overextended. But do you, know what? do you mind if we just go deeper? Do you mind if we look beyond Robinhood for a second or the other meme stocks? Because they do not tell you what's really going on with this market. They're what people talk about. They are. I walk up and down past the exchange. Everything. It's all I want to talk about. 
but it's not all that matters. What does? All right, why do I start with a familiar name? You've probably been there like 200 other million Americans in the last week. Let's start with Walmart. Despite Amazon's best efforts, Walmart's still the largest retailer on earth by sales. Until it caught an upgrade today, this Dow component was actually down for the year, even though it has excellent financials and sells for just 24 times earnings. That's basically a market multiple, meaning it gets the same valuation as the average stock in the S&P 500, yet I would say it's anything but average. I thought today's upgrade from Wells Fargo, which is a piece of paper hits my desk, oh, upgrade, hold, buy. I thought it made a ton of sense. It talked about how low-end consumers are flush with cash thanks to that generous child tax credit pay and, of course, the tight labor market. According to Wells, Walmart's got better earnings visibility than most of its peers. Plus, they can offer a better suite of services than most retailers, including new features from Walmart Plus, its attempt to compete with Amazon Prime. Psst, Walmart, make it so that all drugs are the lowest price and you'll get me to sign up. Now, let me give you the real clincher. The analyst points out to him, I'm going to quote this, because these were the magic words. Like, if you remember Groucho Marx, an old show, which you obviously don't, a duck comes down and tells you the answer. Relative underperformance creates opportunity. Relative underperformance. See, remember, as of yesterday, this stock was down for the year. The analyst points out that Walmart has underperformance peers since COVID got rolling. And so far this year, it had trailed the S&P 500 by 18 percentage points compared to the likes of big winners like Target, Kroger. That underperformance is even more glaring, if not galling. In short, Wells says that you should buy Walmart because it's relatively cheap. With this push, just that and nothing more. Common sense. The stock rallied more than $2.65 today, almost 2%. More important, it broke out of a tight range. We own Walmart for the charitable trust. And our first instinct when I saw it go up today was... Lord, I'm back over even. Oh, let me out of this thing. But you know what that did? That violated an old truism that I came up with probably 30 years ago. It's called the stuck-in-the-mud truism. And that means lots of investors have been viewing Walmart as being stuck in the mud. But now that it's extracted itself from that mud, they're going to buy the stock buy, hand buy, over buy, fist. Buy, you buy. see, because now they're saying, hold it, here it goes. I went in. And that's precisely what I think will happen here. You know what? The Walmart money train is leaving the station. All aboard. There are plenty of other big name stocks that have been left behind. I mean, take Uber. I mean, honestly, take Uber. This thing's down 15% for the year. Yet this morning, CEO Dara Kosmothari told us on Squawk Box, not on Squawk on the Street, just in case you're wondering, Squawk Box, that the business is much better than expected for both ride sharing and delivery. Those are the twins, okay? The only problem is that there aren't enough drivers. But he gave us some evidence, strong evidence, that the driver shortage will go away uh, once the expanded unemployment benefits expire at the end of the summer. He gave us a bunch of cities where the, uh, where the uh, benefits had already gone down, and those don't have shortage of drivers. Granted, Uber's not che- cheap on any traditional valuation metrics, but it's certainly undervalued versus where it's been trading and its peers. Okay, now let's just talk about stocks that are being given away. Let's talk about the chemical stocks. Now, these trade like we're headed for a truly nasty recession. We recently had Lionel Basil on the show. They're a diverse maker of all sorts of plastics. Really boring. Uh, but that's all right. Boring's okay. It's a chemical company, right? And this thing sells for five times this year's earnings. And it's got a 4.7% yield. Five times four. That's insane. Considering its prodigious cash flow and excellent management, it's hard to come up with any justification for why Lyondell should be this cheap. But money managers just say, forget it, Jim. It's peak earnings, which I must be like, forget it, Jake. It's Chinatown. How about Trinzio? 
I know. The name itself says sell, right? But how about Trinity? It's a plastics company we've praised in the past. Trades at less than five times earnings. I don't know. Forget it, Jake. It's the same story with the steelmakers. Barring a worldwide calamity, not peak, but actually maybe an apocalypse, some of these valuations are absurdly low. Cleveland Cliffs and Nucor sell at four and five times earnings. While Cleveland Cliffs is a cobbled-together company with a not-so-good balance sheet, Nucor is the best-run steelmaker on earth, one that's making fortunes right now with a terrific balance sheet and a healthy dividend. Yes, peak, it won't go up. But I don't think we're at peak. You might shy away from owning something like Robinhood, but the steals? Even if the Delta variant crushes the global economy and cuts their earnings in half, the stocks would still be ridiculously cheap. It's the same deal with the home builders. I mean, Toll, Doug Yearly, he's a really good manager. Lenar, Stuart Miller, executive chairman, D.R. Horton, Horton, they're all clustered around nine times earnings, except for KB Homes, which sells for less than seven times earnings. These stocks are all pricing in a future with much higher mortgage rates and no customers. Yet they don't reflect the relentless demand for new homes created by both COVID and plain old population growth. That's people having children. If Fed Chief Jay Powell stays true to his word and lets the economy percolate rather than raising interest rates, these stocks can roar. Or let me put it another way. We're currently building 1.6 million new homes right now in this country, okay? We have demand for 2 million homes. 2 million. Finally, there are the automakers. These are hard. Stung by the chip shortage and rising raw costs, GM and Ford now traded around eight times earnings. I know that may be wildly overvalued if we're going to a recession or if it's peak Chinatown, but I don't think... We're going into a recession, and it seems nuts to think that the Fed will create one right as we get another huge COVID outbreak. Forget it, Jim. No, I won't forget it. When it comes to the autos, pretty much every car they get on the lot sells and sells at full price. There's no discounting out there. No. So uh, look at it this way. Seven years ago, seven years ago, Ford traded at $18. Okay, I know I was at Dearborn. I was there when they were making the trucks, $18. Now Ford's at $13.71, okay, $18.30. Do you really think that no value was created in the last seven years? Do you think that this company should be worth less now than it has a full line of electric vehicles on the way, a rapidly improving balance sheet, and a commitment to stop building cars in countries where it has a long history of losing money? When I think of the new Ford, I don't think of losses. I think of sold out, as in everything they make seems to be sold out. And Jim Farley is really changing that. That company. Bottom line, I know this take seems contrarian in a world where how long can this craziness last? But my most frequently asked question after when I can I get some none Jim's none better pickles? The answer, forget the craziness. Focus on the cheap stocks that have done nothing and sell for peanuts. They're a lot more plentiful than you might think, even more plentiful than a bushel and a peck of Jim's none better sour dills. William in Michigan, William. Hi, Jim. Thank you for taking my call. Of course. With the recent surge of the Delta variant, most, if not all, of the reopening stocks have taken a hit. I feel like there will be another run-up as soon as the cases start to peak. I know you like best of breed. Is it too early to be starting a position in Southwest? No, it's exactly when you should be doing it. Exactly, because Gary Kelly is doing a great job. The stock is just sold off as is everyone's decided, you know what, we're not traveling anymore. But the TSA numbers aren't saying that at all. Everyone is constantly talking about how expensive this market is. And I get the surface-level concerns, Robin Hood, but there are tons of individual stocks out there that are bargains. I'm talking about a Walmart, an Uber, the home builders, the auto, so many others. And it's not forget it, Jake, it's Chinatown. It's forget it, Jim. Go buy one.
On Man Money tonight, the market put a pause on Take-Two Interactive after earnings. So could this quarter be game over or are investors getting a nice buying opportunity? Let's talk to the CEO. Then my exclusive with Etsy. Does the online marketplace have what it takes to craft a new story after today's declines? I got top brass. And semiconductors continue to be high in demand. But with many warning that shortages could continue next year, let's go to the one that's probably most important for autos. Let's go to one semi-CEO to get his read on the situation. And of course, stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's not all fun and games to be in the business of what have you done for me lately. With a history of delayed gratification, can Take-Two ensure investors one more time that the games have just begun? Some stocks have a history of breaking down after earnings and then making a comeback. But surviving those breakdowns is tough, even when you know the pattern. Just look at what happened to Take-Two Interactive Software, which has been my favorite video game stock for ages. Think Grand Theft Auto, Red Dead Redemption, and a host of other titles. Take-Two has a habit of reporting good numbers with cautious guidance, so it's not unusual to see the stock get poleaxed during the earnings season. Sure enough, on Monday night, the company delivered a sizable top and bottom line beat, but the management was opaque, gave a disappointing forecast, current quarter, a couple of major releases got delayed. Then also, they left their full year outlook unchanged, even though the numbers were considered pretty conservative when they issued in, were issued in May. And so what happened? Of course, the stock got crushed. Of course. 
Toppled from 173 uh, at Monday's close to below 157 today. However, this is a level where the stock has repeatedly been able to bottom before. So maybe you can make another comeback. Let's check in with Strauss Zelnick, the chairman and CEO of Take Two Interactive Software, to get a better read on the quarter and what he sees going forward. Mr. Zelnick, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks for having me, Jim. All right, so Strauss, before we talk about the things that have uh, irritated people, can we please talk about uh, the things that were actually quite unimaginably good, including the uh, the actual beat in the uh, first quarter of 22? Right. We had $711 million of net bookings. We're still reiterating our guidance for $3.2 to $3.3 billion in net bookings for the year. That'll make it our second best year ever. And given the comps, given that you know, we expected that we would have very high demand in the pandemic and somewhat more moderated demand post-pandemic, we're in a great place. Now, I want to just kind of touch on the conservatism versus not. We know that a lot of people have said, and all the other game companies said the same thing, which is that you, you had, uh, when you have shelter in place, you're going to have more game gaming. But uh, on page uh, 10 of the refinitive uh, version of the, your uh, conference call, your CFO says that we expect, uh, we, you, you expect GTA Online 2 to be up versus last year, and Red Dead Online, since difficult comp, but still expect it to be up. So I'm trying to figure out, those are big games. And you're saying those are going to be up versus uh, shelter in place. So why should you be so conservative? Actually, we expect them to be up over pre-pandemic, so fiscal uh, 20. And, uh, and there's no doubt that we will be. We will be down, moderate on both titles versus last year. But that was our expectation. I think you and I discussed it at least twice. But- when we talked about the fact that pre-pandemic demand was going to be much lower, obviously, than pandemic demand, which it was. And post-pandemic demand would be higher than before. We've accelerated our business, and the industry has accelerated. However, you should naturally expect that it won't be as high as when people were fully sheltering at home. Right, but I mean, again, but since we had this update, we expect it to be up versus last year. That's last year, pre-pandemic. It's actually, actually the year before. Oh, okay, we so that was, right, that was not clear yeah. in the transcript, right? Because, well, look, I don't want to be too get lost in semantics. What I'm basically saying is, you know, you, you basically said you were going to do X and you're doing better than X. And yet the stock acted as if you were doing worse than X. And this is puzzling behavior to me. So I've got to try to figure out. I mean, someone said to me, what's one of your favorite stocks at a dinner? I said last night, I said, I like take two. And they said, what happened? I said, well, two of their immersive titles were uh, delayed. And they said, what's an immersive title? I said, well, of course, you know, it could be like PGA 2K. It could be NBA 2K. And this person, well, which is it? Strauss, I couldn't tell which immersive is, is hurting you. And so, again, I'm working backwards, okay? So it's a little complicated, but they're coming within the fiscal year. We expect that the install base of consoles will be higher at that time, so there's that offset. And as you know, Jim, you know, it's always painful to delay a title. However, it's the right thing to do when you believe the quality would be that much higher, and that's what we play for. We play for quality. We try to be the most creative, the most innovative, and the most efficient company in the space. Often we, you know... We succeed at that. Occasionally we fall short. But I believe that by delaying these titles as a matter of months, it gives us our best shot of delivering great success. Well, if that's the case, again, I would say, well, rational investors would say, why sell it now and then think you can you know, buy it back in time when you get them right? I mean, that seems to be a silly hedge fund game. Well, that's been our history, as you know, as you said earlier in the introduction. On the other hand, as you know, I never promote the, the stock, I think. The market sees it as it is. It's our job to deliver. Sometimes we fall short. We're not falling short right now. We're on guidance, and we had a great quarter. 
All right. So again, working backward to try to figure out what's going on. Economic Information Daily, which I do not read, a Chinese publication, did describe online gaming as spiritual opium. Could the 54 million people who play NBA 2K be on spiritual opium? And that worries the PRC. Uh, it's it's complicated to comment on on matters related to politics in any circumstance. Uh, our games are approved. Uh, we have a great partner in Tencent. We work very closely with the government as we're required to, and our games continue to perform. And I feel confident that we'll be in market and we'll continue to grow NBA 2K online. Well, look, I, that's all I needed to know on that issue. All right, now I want to talk about your acquisitions. Uh, because I think the acquisitions, including one involving uh, a Nordia that has, you can own your own soccer club. Now, in this country, I see now we're with NBC has the Olympics. But I saw something that I'd never thought I'd, I'd see before. Strauss. There was a European series of games that basically captivated America. Isn't this an acquisition that could be surprisingly more positive than you left it in this in your release, which made it sound like eh, another thing we bought? Well, we, we really never we never overpromote if we can avoid it. We're really excited about Top 11. We're really excited about having Nordius in the family. Top 11 has 240 million registered users. Soccer is a beloved game, and Top 11 is the leading mobile uh, sports soccer management game. So we're very well positioned, and I'm convinced we're going to do great with that acquisition. And there's more to come from that company as well. But you, you have to understand, again, it's like rifle through every single thing to find out what. I mean, I got recurrent consumer spending decline 25 percent. All right. But wait a second. You thought it was going to be down 30 percent. I'm struggling here, Strauss. I'm struggling because I think that I when I read the release and I read it without looking at the at the market, I said, OK, they won't like the immersive being delayed. But it's two games. Stock will be down five. And the next week it'll be up 10. And it's not bouncing. So I'm trying to figure out whether you and I together are too happy with take two. Well, I, we never rest on our laurels. And I, it's not that I'm not happy. I'm a pretty satisfied person, frankly. And the problems we face are high-class problems. However, we know that we can do better. That's what we aim to do every day. And I think our team never takes success for granted. We've had a great deal of success. We hope to have more. The only way we're going to get it is just double down and work harder and focus on our strategy, which over time has paid off. And all the, the people that you added, obviously you wouldn't be adding all these people if you felt they were going to be subtracted. That's exactly right. We added 700 uh, creative folks in the last 12 months through both uh, internal hiring and acquisitions. All right. Then I'm going to say what I do very rarely. I I I can't believe I could be this wrong on this stock. So I'm telling you, I think it's right to buy. How about that? Strauss Zelnick, take two interactive chairman and CEO. Always great to see you, Strauss. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Jim. Guys, look, I, I, I'm not this wrong. The stock is right. Man, money's back into the break. Coming up, Etsy unraveled. Can the company bounce back from an earnings report that sent investors heading for the hills? Kramer's got the CEO next. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, 
The ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Holy cow, this is a brutal time for last year's biggest winners, isn't it? Well, some of them are up against very difficult comparisons. I want you to take Etsy, the online marketplace for all sorts of handcrafted goods that became a premier shopping destination during the lockdown, although it had always been one for me. They're now lapping that period, and it's taking its toll on the numbers. Last night, Etsy reported some modestly better-than-expected headline numbers, but their gross merchandise sales growth, and that is the key indicator, slowed from 132% in the first quarter to just 13% in the second quarter. Revenue growth shrank from 142 to 23%. That's the power of tough comparisons. But at least everyone knew this was coming. However, management gave slightly weaker than anticipated guidance for the next quarter. And that's why the stock plunged from 202 to 175 at the opening this morning. However, as Wall Street processed more of the quarter, Etsy stock rebounded off its lows because I think there's still plenty to like under the surface. And we're going to examine that. Gross merchandise sales per active buyer increased by 22%. They're still bringing in millions of new customers. And the number of habitual buyers was up an astounding 115% year over year. Plus, they recently made a pair of exciting acquisitions. ELO 7, that's the Etsy of Brazil, going into that in a second. And Depop, a popular secondhand resale platform that Gen Xers love. So could the stock be worth buying in a weakness? Let's dig deep with Josh Silverman. He's the CEO of Etsy to learn more about the quarter and his vision for the future. Mr. Silverman, welcome back to Mad Money. Great to be here, Jim. Thanks for having me. All right, so Josh, I mean, a lot of people got down on the stock today, but you know, I was thinking, I, what I did was put together what we call comps, the comparables, over a two-year stack periods. That's what you have to do. You have to look two years because you've got the pandemic. You're up 159%. Now, that was two-year stack. That's better than Shopify, or equal to Shopify, better than Amazon, better than Wayfair, which is up 25 points today, better than RealReal, Real, better than Poshmark, better than Wix. I've always liked those guys, better than ThreadUp, much better than, uh, than, than, uh, much better than eBay. Much, much, much. So what am I missing? You tell me. That's some work. Shows me that you did much better than all of these, but your stock got hit hard. We think we had a great quarter. And just to put it in perspective, let's remember Q2 of 2020. Let's remember what the world was like one year ago. Offline retail shut down. People are locked in their houses. If you can go to offline retail, the the stores are empty. And when you go to online retailers, they're out of stock, too. So Etsy was one of the only places people could turn to that could conveniently and reliably ship. Sort of cottage industry came to the rescue in the, the beginning of the pandemic. And of course, GMS exploded and revenue exploded. And the big question then is what's going to happen when people can move about their life freely again? And how much of that are we going to lose? And in fact, here we are one year later. later and thankfully, offline retail is open again and e-commerce sites are shipping. You have an explosion of choice. And now people don't have to shop on Etsy, but they're choosing to shop on Etsy. Our non-mask GMS in the second quarter was up 31% year over year. In a, in, in a quarter when you can go and shop almost anywhere else, we think that's incredibly encouraging. We feel great about those results. But how about this, this uh, comment about mid-single-digit core Etsy growth uh, in terms of GMS guidance, gross merchandise? That did 
freak a lot of people out. I mean, I'm looking at a Morgan Stanley piece. They've historically, uh, they've, you know, they've not been that cool in you. But I do think they pointed out as something we should be worried about. So, you know, look, let's remember that in Q3 of 2020, Etsy still sold a lot of masks, more than $120 million of masks in Q3 in Q3 of 2020. That number is de minimis in Q3 of 2021. So if you look at our growth rate excluding masks, we said it's going to be mid-teens. And again, that's over the toughest comps, the, the, the fastest growth rates of, of any e-commerce site last year. We're still growing in the mid-teens. So if you look at us on on a two-year stack, uh, in other words, what did we guide to in Q3 of 2021 versus Q3 of 2019? I still think we're going to be amongst the highest growth rate e-commerce sites out there. Yeah, I, I actually think you'll be the highest, but that's because I look. My own work says that it's. I'm not. I, I live in Brooklyn. That's about as close as I came to being owned by Etsy, so to speak. Now, let's talk about a Roth downgrade. They tend to like it. Well, pretty much everything. They're talking about how it's hard to see growth can reaccelerate from here without another macro. Another macro tailwind. But I'm looking at Depop. I'm looking at Reverb. I'm looking at ELO 7. And I'm thinking that any one of these could ignite. Absolutely. But, you know, starting with the core Etsy marketplace, GMS per active buyer was up 22 percent in the second quarter over the same period last year at a time when uh, when the whole world had reopened again. People are choosing to come back and spend even more on Etsy even when they can spend everywhere else. And yet our share of wallet is tiny. If you look at our GMS per active buyer versus, you know, an eBay, for example, you know, we've still got just a fraction of the spend that they do. And there's so many great purchase occasions on Etsy. And then you're absolutely right. We couldn't be more excited about Depop, which is the the choice for Gen Z in fashion. Gen Z is obviously huge in the future of where a lot of spending is coming from. And clothing is the most popular category for them. And so we think Depop is a tremendous opportunity for growth. And then ELO 7, Brazil is the, the, the 12th or 13th largest economy in the world, and yet e-commerce is only 10% penetrated there. So to have a leading brand in that market, we think has uh, tremendous growth opportunities as well. I know when I started TheStreet.com, uh, the very, Fred Wilson, really terrific guy, put me in Mercado Libre. And I said, what do I want this thing for? I mean, like Latin America, Latin America. Turned out to be the single best thing that uh, I got invested in. I don't have any investments now, but this from the old days. I mean, do people understand that they've got vibrant markets down there that are actually a must to invest in? I remember when I worked for eBay, my first assignment was to go down and meet with the Mercado Libre team. And and, and eBay could never quite decide to buy Mercado Libre because it always seemed a little too expensive. Now Mercado Libre is worth two Ebays. <laughs> so there's big markets down there. And what's so exciting is that the penetration rates in e-commerce are still so low that there's a lot of growth potential to come. All right. Now, let's talk about uh, the, some of the of the things that, of course, I love and, uh, that may, people may not know about Etsy. The functionality is so much better that I wanted to order canning labels. Now, there was a time when I wanted to do that, and I knew I'd have to spend a lot of time, and I'd have to input this and input that. Boom. I mean, it is. I mean, I don't want to say you're like Amazon in anything because Amazon is a death star. But your speed to find something and your index is so much better than even two years ago. You spent a lot of money. It's working. We, we've been investing a lot in making the search engine work a lot better. And in fact, this quarter, we launched something called XWalk. 
Xwalk is allowing us to process 11 times more data in every search. Mm -hmm. And that means understanding more the relationships between items. So we can start to do things like say, hey, Jim, your taste is the following. So these are the canning labels that are going to fit the style of your wife's Italian restaurant. You know, and, and, and so we're getting so much better and we're still in early innings on that. You know, another thing we, we talked about this quarter is we've, we've started to promote our mobile app on the site and we've seen an explosion in mobile app downloads as a result. And people who download our mobile app are much stickier, their frequency is a lot higher. And you'd say, gosh, how did you not do that three years ago? Well, I agree, we just were a small team and we're going against you know one, one priority after the next, but there's so much opportunity still for us to, to do a better job and build a better experience. And then I just want this thing, I, my daughter's in fashion, I talked about her, she I did not know that you own Depop. And she said, why, isn't, why doesn't Amazon buy Depop? I said, well, no, Amazon, that would destroy Depop. Uh, this is it. This is, Depop is the site. Gen Z, I always say a little bit older, too. Uh, do, do people who on Wall Street, maybe they have to have kids to know Depop? If you have friends in Gen Z, they're going to tell you that Depop is the bomb. They're going to tell you that Depop is where they go, and they're really loyal to Depop. And the Depop is not at all like other re-commerce plays. You know, they wouldn't dream of going to those plays. So I think for Etsy, you know, Depop might be for Etsy what Venmo was for, for PayPal, you know, the choice of the next generation. And we're incredibly excited about that. Depop could have gone public, but they chose to partner with Etsy. And, and, and I don't think they would have considered being bought by any other company. It's the fact that we share their values that made them feel like we're really well aligned and we would be a good partnership. Well, excellent. Every single time the stock's going down like this has been a buying opportunity. And this time, I believe it will be no different. Josh Silverman, Etsy CEO. It is always great to have, have you on the show, sir. Thank you. Great to be here. Thanks, Jim. Yeah, might be back in for break. Coming up, deep in an industry caught short, can a slinger of semiconductor solutions chip away at investor apprehensions? Kramer's on the case with the CEO. Next. We finished a record close, but it's still been a mixed week for a lot of the averages. Uh, It's been, though, a great week for one semiconductor, which makes power management and signal amplification chips for all sorts of big end markets, especially autos. Late last year, the company brought in Hassan El-Khoury. He's formerly of Cypress Semi, where we saw him first to take the business to the next level. After the quarter on, on Semi reported on Monday, he's clearly delivered. The company just posted a magnificent top and bottom line beat, one of the best in the market. Even better guidance for the next quarter. And that's why the stock jumped 12% on Monday. Three months ago, they told us there'd be a lot of double ordering earlier in the year. So there was some concern that demand had been pulled forward. But it looks like that's not a problem. Today, OnSemi held a miraculously fabulous on, uh, analyst meeting. And while the stock pulled back in response, I think that was simply a sell the new situation because they told some great stories about focusing on intelligent power, sensing solutions for some great end markets, factory automation, green energy infrastructure, 5G, cloud power, electric vehicles, and advanced driver assistance systems. But do not take it from me. Let's dig deeper with Hassan El Khoury. He really is the man of the moment, the president and CEO of OnSemiConductor. To hear more about the quarter and his company's prospects, Mr. El Khoury, welcome back to Man Money. Thank you, Jim. Thank you for having me. All right, Hassan, could you please tell us how it got to be that automobile companies as big as GM and Ford cannot make their production schedules because of semi shortages when I read that on semi is working around the clock to provide them? Look, we are we are working around the clock. Like you said, we can't keep up. The man has been great. Uh, 
and we are working diligently to get everything our customers need in their hands in the cars in the in the case of uh, the OEMs but also in anything that has electronics uh, in it the demand is just has been a great environment for us and we're working to catch up and you've seen it in the results you've seen it in our guide going up even next quarter on a supply constrained environment now i i was out with the ceo of weber today yeah, look that's a grill company. And suddenly he's got a grill that can turn off when when your steak gets too cooked. And I'm thinking, well, there you go. You need on semi analog devices. I mean, every day somebody comes up with something new, but they need more on semi. How will you be ever able to meet demand? Look, first is uh, we're focusing on the markets where we are able to bring value. And you've seen that in uh, how we have been able to achieve the margin uh, expansion growth, uh, the gross margin expansion that we have delivered and we also guided to. So we're doing it by really selecting the markets and the products where we are bringing the value. That goes back to what I mentioned today on the intelligent power, intelligent sensing. We are going to bring in capacity for those and we're going to wind down some of the capacity on the others in order to streamline our manufacturing. We're doubling down, making sure our customers get the value and we're taking it from the commodity, the discrete, that uh, the non-core businesses that we have historically had. Well, that's how you get your margins up. That's how you get your PE up. And that's what we want. Now, I want to go back to the conference call. I need you to take me into the East Fishkill Fab right now and tell me what's going on there, how much of it is yours, and what you can do, say, if I'm Mary Barra and I call Hassan, I say, listen, I know what you're doing in that fab, but I need chips. What do you tell her? Look, I tell her we need to sit down and talk about a long-term agreement because when we're starting to talk at the manufacturing level of what we need to do as a company, you have already talked about an 18 to 24-month latency, which is the issue we have today in the, the supply chain, where demand came out very strong. Capacity was not aligned to support that demand. What I would say, and I'm saying this to all the OEMs, Let's sit down and figure out where the demand is going to be for you specifically, what technologies, and I will map it to where we are able to do it and sustain it and grow it on our footprint. We have a lot of manufacturing and we're able to support. We just need that visibility. And that's the shift that we're doing with all of our customers, including the OEM, of where is that demand? And today, that demand is in power and is in sensing. That's driving the electrification of the vehicles and the safety of the vehicles in the case of automotive, but the same trend in the industrials. But I listened to the president today and listened to Phil LeBeau, our own Phil LeBeau. The president's talking about some numbers uh, about EV, about how, how quickly we can get there. And I said, I wish, I, I wish Hassan were at the meeting and have a frank discussion, because I think you'd have to tell the president, look, I, I, I wish we could do it. But if you knew how little... How, you know, what the production rates are. I mean, you've got some things in your conference call. You're talking about, uh, Thad talked about going from 30 weeks to 42 weeks in lead times. The president seems out of sync with what we can do when it comes to EV. Yeah, and that visibility, that visibility of where the demand is going to be, that allows us to plan ahead. But what we have to be careful is we have to plan ahead, but there has to be a commitment on the other side from the side of our customers that that demand will end up in end uh, equipment, and that's what we need. We cannot build capacity on hope because that will give us the volatility that we've had historically at Ansemi with the margin. We have to build where the demand is, and we have to be securing that demand with long-term agreements from the OEMs to the tier one down to us. But we have to be all streamlined in putting that capacity in order to bring that uh, lead time down. 
that's what it takes. It takes a multilateral effort in order to get the demand and to get the supply and get everything stable again. But don't get me wrong. The demand, wherever it is, it's going up. There's more and more content. You heard it today from the president, but just take it across the board. Everything is getting electronics. Cars are getting more and more electronics and electrification is just that much of a driver on top of that. All right, talking about the environment for a second and sustainability. I mean, you guys, what a commitment you're having toward that. Uh, and I don't want to, you know, I'm talking about Weber Grills. I should be thinking a little bit bigger. I'm so, I apologize. But you guys have some great views on sustainability. I'd just like you to share them with uh, our viewers. Look, we're going to be, we made a commitment today. We're going to be net zero by 2040. That's a very big commitment, not just from us, but also for our customers. You know, the, the products that we make, when I talk about intelligent power and sensing, that efficiency allows our customers to even achieve their own climate goals. And, you know, if you want to be part of that ecosystem, which we are, and you're an enabler, you also have to do your part. We've been doing our part, but now we're going to be making it part of our strategy and part of our focus because it's not just the right thing to do. It's the only thing we can do in order to support and sustain our business, but that of our customers and that of the future generations. It's on us to do that. Given what we are able to do, it is our responsibility, and we're going to stand up and say it, and we did today. Let's leave it at that, because I believe, as you do, that business can be the greatest force for social change. And what you just said is what I think America wants to hear and have and do, not just hear, I should say. Uh, Hassan Al-Khori, president and CEO of OnSemi. Magnificent job. You promised you promise this, you delivered, and much more. It's great to see you. Thank you. You too. Thank you. Guys, there is a very easy, what's known as a deck, and it's got OnSemi's mission, And I think you need to read this because this is what great companies are doing right now. This is what they do. We have money's back yet. Coming up next. Let's make money together. What do we got? Kramer is bringing the thunder and answering your burning questions in today's edition of The Lightning Round. It is time for the Lightning Round. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski dead. I'm going to start with John. And can I get John? Jimmy Chill. Booyah. Booyah. Chill now. What's up? I'm a member of Action Alerts Plus, and I've been in this stock a long time, and it's getting beat up unmercifully, and I'm adding to it, even though it's over my basis a little bit. The stock is F. MD. Well, I don't know. Um, they did have a cost problem firming research, whom I use. Frank Mitch downgraded it. I am with him. I am very sorry, but I'm glad you're a member of the club. But no, I got to go with, with Mitch. That's the, uh, he's my chemical axe. I need an axe on set. Bob in Massachusetts. Bob. Hi, Jim. I'd just like to get your thoughts on Blackstone Group after its run-up the last six Blackstone months. Blackstone is the king. John Gray is great, not just because he's a great CEO, but he also happens to be a fantasio. He happens to be a fabulous, fabulous, charitable man. Okay? Blackstone is terrific. I do not know Steve Schwartz. My own. I only know Gray. Okay. How about we go to David in California? David. Booyah, Jim. First Booyah. time caller, long time listener. Excellent. God may, God may arrest it on the seventh day, but Kramer kept giving us advice. There you go. Free. I come to play. All right. So, so here's my question. Yesterday, you were talking about a timely topic called REITs. 
Yes. And my question is, well, Tower, well, because I mean, I, 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 I'm I like really well looking. Tower. I like well, Tower, but it's not as good as Ventos. And that's Deb Kafaria, who's money good with me. I need to go to Mark in Florida. Mark. Hi, Jim. I hope you're well. Doing all right. How about you? Uh, my question is about a stock that reported disappointing earnings yesterday and was crushed today. Do you think I should buy more, sell, or hold on to Modine Manufacturing? How could it blow the quarter? How could it have? I mean, they should be in the sweetest spot there is. No, we're going to say Ixtay. They're in the penalty box. Let me go to Fred in Oregon, where my daughter lived for so long. Fred in Oregon. Fred! Good afternoon. Jim, if the fella had a high tolerance for risk, and automobiles are one of his passions his entire life, would you suggest to me, at $5.99, I take a chance on Lordstown Motors? Only because one of the great things about stock is that they stop at zero. Let's go to Doug in Georgia. Doug. Yes, sir. Go ahead, Doug. You're up. Okay. Booyah, Mr. Kramer. Booyah. This is Doug calling Blue Ridge, Georgia, in the mountains. I wish I were Being there. A diabetic. I wish I were there. Well, yes, you, sir. It's beautiful. You know, I went to Lake Butler a couple years ago. Well, I'll tell you, that's heaven. Yeah, it's, it's, it's God's country. Yep. Uh, being a diabetic hillbilly, I have interest in ORMP, Oramed Pharmaceuticals, since they are developing a pill for insulin and COVID, so I don't need to use the needle. No, I, you know, and I've actually, because of some things that I'm doing with the uh, American Migrant Foundation, actually, and some others, that's a good company. And I really like what they're up to, and I think you should go for it. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Semiconductors remain in short supply as demand continues to grow. Could new chip-enabled inventions that are hitting the market make the situation worse? Kramer is explaining how a boom in tech innovation could strain the system even further. Next. You want to know why we have a semiconductor shortage in this country? Let me explain this in terms of doneness. Yeah, that's the word people use at Weber, the grill maker that came public today, when they're describing if your steak's undercooked or if it's, well, done. Weber's got a new portfolio of high-tech products to go along with grills. Yeah, but which now use Wi-Fi and Bluetooth to keep you from burning your steak and ruining the party. In other words, we have a chip shortage because we now live in a world where everything's connected to the Internet of Things. Even your new grill is packed with semiconductor content. Remember charcoal? Personally, I love the idea of a grill that keeps your steaks from being burned. I think it's going to be a big hit for Weber. But the world can only make so many chips right now. Now, this is just the latest in an endless parade of new smart devices that need full-function chips, meaning lower-end ones, not like the processors you use for high-performance computing. You don't need cutting-edge chips from AMD or NVIDIA to measure doneness. Chips from OnSemi that we talked to or analog devices, they might do the job. But do you know that we have $80,000 cars not being shipped because of a shortage of $3 chips? Frankly, there's a world of difference between the chips we put in computers and the ones we put in appliances. Sure, NVIDIA and Intel are in a battle for autonomous driving supremacy, but most of the semiconductors that go into an electric car are the lower-end, full-function variety, the 3 to $4 kind. 
I cringed today when I saw President Biden talk to the press. Oh, my. Uh, uh, pushing the big automakers to get more aggressive about making electric vehicles. If we're going to get to 50 percent electric by 2030, we need to massively scalp our semiconductor manufacturing. We can't. The automakers can't even make enough cars now because of the semis. Uh, GM just got clobbered yesterday. Why? Because a COVID outbreak in Malaysia meant that they couldn't get the chips that they needed to make some of the best-selling models. Forget 50 percent electric. I doubt we could even get to 4 percent until we solve this chip shortage. Honestly, it's even worse than I'm making it out to be. If we want enough chips to make all these smart devices, we need the major semiconductor manufacturers to dramatically boost capacity. And here we're talking about global foundries, Samsung, and most important, Taiwan Semi. Ideally, our government should be making a big push to build more chips here, and they're trying, but it takes a long time. You know, though, who recognizes the need for more semiconductors? The People's Republic of China. They want to build foundries that can match Taiwan Semi. To get there, though, they need semiconductor capital equipment, especially ultraviolet lithography machines from ASML. That's a Dutch company that our government's trying to pressure into not doing business with China. Suddenly, the semiconductor shortage isn't just a business problem. It's a geopolitical problem. As long as there are issues throughout the semiconductor supply chain, many companies, even our whole country, are vulnerable to outside forces that are beyond our ken. We're not going to stop making smart devices that need chips, though. Uh, Weber CEO Chris Scherzinger pointed out to me that the next big innovation will be something that I tell you are going to save a lot of marriages. A device that tells you whether your grill is about to run out of propane. Now, that's worth its weight in gold. Or going forward, maybe we should say it's worth its weight in semis. That's how precious and priceless these chips have become to both our country and, more important, the People's Republic of China, which may not tolerate our squeezing their semiconductor companies for long before they feel compelled to take action against us. I like to say that there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise trying to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you next time. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.